Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast. Today we're talking to Grant Morrison, who's recently returned to the Solomon Islands, where he's involved in multiplying disciples and churches throughout the South Pacific. We came back, but we still had this sense of call from God that when we were here before, there was unfinished business, so we'd really only just made a start. And so uh, Sue, she has a contract to work for the government as the principal internal audit advisor, and her main thing is to deal with corruption. Okay, that's why we have a few security guards around the place. Yes, yeah, yeah, we have uh, a good lot of security here. Mm-hmm. So it, it has its uh, challenges and safety issues because it, this is a third world country and uh, there is quite a bit of corruption, although Sue is making some significant inroads. Mm. Now, a lot of people may not know where the Solomon Islands are. They're sort of just uh, off the north, far northeast coast of Australia in the South Pacific, but people would be familiar with films like The Thin Red Line and yeah. some major uh, naval battles were fought yes. here between mostly US and Japanese. Japanese. Yeah. And the Japanese occupied the Solomon Islands yeah. during the war. Yes, and Battle of Guadalcanal is what well known. And, uh, in fact, we're, we're looking out on the Guadalcanal. Yes, we are. Yeah, well, Guadalcanal is the island. We're looking ah, okay. out on Iron Bottom Sound. Okay. It's called Iron Bottom Sound because there are over 60 warships sunk in there in World War II. And so they changed the name. They now call it Iron Bottom Sound. That's all it's known by now. Okay. Yeah. So it's World War II changed the Solomon Islands. Mm. And uh, most people were impacted by, the, by World War II, either the the noise or being involved in the war and so this say um, the missionaries had come mm-hmm. been here for up to a hundred years before World War Two, but since World War Two, there's been a significant uh, change just as more people were exposed to what Westerners are able to do yeah um, and so we've uh, we've just come sensing that God has more for us to do. So we, we'd made some good connections when we were here before. So for me, I'd, uh, I'd done some training uh, when we were here, when I was flying in and out before, but it wasn't the same as being on the ground 24-7. And, uh, and so we just love uh, Solomon Island people, and there's some similarities amongst all the people around the South Pacific, but we, we had good contacts here. We just sensed God was calling us back and we needed to finish uh, what we'd begun a couple of years ago. Okay. About how many people live in the Solomons? There's just over 600,000 people in Solomon Islands. And how many islands in the Solomon Islands? 932 islands. My goodness. Um, There's half a dozen major islands, but lots of those 932 islands do have people on them. Mm. Sometimes it might just be a village, depending on the size of the island. But there are significant, yeah, you know, there's some significant populations in the other islands. Yeah. So, and if people were sort of wandering around Honiara, the capital, what what impressions would they would they get? Um, just a lot of traffic mm-hmm. for the number of people. 
it's not overly clean. It's not a tourist town. Um, what other impressions would they get? There's a lot of people hanging around on the street. Yeah. yeah. So Solomon Islands, there's significant unemployment mm-hmm. um, and underemployment. Uh, we have uh, um, here, yeah, there, there's just not a lot of uh, places we like there's no manufacturing industry or anything like that so jobs are going to be hard to come by there's only a small amount of export happens of palm oil Mm. Um, there's tuna fishing happening some nations take everything Mm -hmm. so there's going to be a problem in some years to come with not just tuna on the decline but I think other fish species are going to Copper as well, so there's a significant fisheries presence in the Solomon Islands as well. Um, the harbour, such as it is, um, is busy all the time, so we often hear noise at our house mm. all night from the uh, loading and unloading of ships. Mm. Some ships are noisier than others. <laughs> and I notice a lot of beetle nut, which is a, a mild narcotic that uh, locals, some locals, chew while they're hanging around with the bright red uh, sort of crimson almost like they've been drinking red cordial around their teeth and their gums and nice lipstick nice colour yeah nice red lipstick yeah chewing of beetle nuts a real problem mm-hmm. uh, and it started off like generations ago beetle nut was just something that the uh, elders in the tribes would uh, chew at certain times or mm. you know for, for some uh, specific ritual but now the push is, oh, it's part of our culture and we should be able to chew beetle nut whenever we want. So it does cause problems for even amongst those who have jobs because they will walk out of work because they have a craving to chew some more beetle nut. And beetle nut mm. um, causes um, mouth and throat cancers mm-hmm. because they don't just chew the nut, they add lime to it and then a, a mustard bean to get more of a zing from the whole thing. Uh, so there's problems with the chewing of beetle nut. Alcohol's a problem in the Solomon Islands. Lots of people smoke. There's problems with uh, you know, domestic violence. There's problems with incest. Mm. Um, there's sometimes problems when larger groups get together and, and a group can shift very quickly from being all excited and positive and just something will happen in the group turns and becomes an aggressive mob. So we do have to be careful sometimes when groups of people gather. So, I mean, they're the downsides, but Mm. generally the people are lovely, friendly, um, welcoming. People, they're very friendly. Mm. People will walk up to you on the street. It's very easy to have a conversation with people. They like to sit and have a conversation. They might be at work, but someone comes and wants to talk, oh, well, let's talk. So they are, you know, high... Um, on verbal communication and, and just very friendly towards people. They'll come and say, oh, what are you doing in the country? And it's so good to have you here. And, and you'll, you'll impress them with a little bit of your pidgin English, which is a, yes. it's like a trade language around the South Pacific. It sort of varies from country to country, but you're, you're, you're learning the basics and you can hold a bit of a conversation now in pigeon. I, I can. I, even just yesterday I had a man asking me how long I'd been in the Solomon Islands because I was talking to him in pigeon and 
is very impressed. We're looking to uh, looking at uh, just looking at some carvings. He thought we were going to buy, and I was just talking to him about. It. He said, "Oh, how long have you been in Solomon?" Tony mm-hmm. Pigeon, I'm very embattled, good. <laughs> okay. Now, what is it that God has called you to do here, Grant? Well, I'm here to train up people in evangelism Mm -hmm. and discipleship and church planting. Um, But to do it in a way that it's simple enough for people to pass on to someone else so they might pass it on to someone else. There's there's a real heart, particularly amongst the denomination where I do most of my training, or the two denominations where I do most of my training. They all have a... in those two denominations, there's a heart for evangelism already, but often it's complex and it's around, um, oh, well, if we have a crusade or something like that, you know, if we preach it, they will come. And so people will turn up because Solomon Islanders love a, a good event. Easy. You can preach on the street and attract a crowd. Because m- many of them don't have television. That's they right. can't afford television. Which is one of the great things. <laughs> about being here and working mm. with these people. So if you want them to do something at night, they're free to do something at night. Uh, but you can attract a crowd, and, and we drill down into this, and at best, maybe one in a hundred who makes a response at, one, at some open-air meeting <clears throat> will connect with a local church as a result of that. Uh, people are responsive to the gospel, and so I'm training... Uh, people in personal evangelism. Let's go and talk to people one on one or in a small group, and uh, and then the, uh, I'm training up people that as pe- as those people respond to the good news about Jesus, then let's meet together, uh, ideally in their house. But sometimes it's under a tree or you know, sitting outside in their uh, community. But let's begin to disciple those people and not just expect that they would go back to their local church. Isn't that one of the challenges here that Christianity has, and it's been a real blessing to the country, uh, has been here for over 100 years, uh, maybe 150 years perhaps by now. And uh, so a lot of people would say we're Christians, just like in the West. Yes. But, But getting that personal faith that leads to discipleship and obedience and mission and ministry to others. Um, that's what you're trying to achieve with that discipleship element. It's yeah. not just come to church, make a decision. In fact, every Sunday they welcome any backsliders who are, who right. are in the congregation. It's a bit confronting at first for a Westerner. It's like, oh, that grates, that's... Yeah, a hard to take but there's a consciousness that 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 there are many people around that uh, you know struggling with drugs or alcohol, the betel nut thing, the unemployment. They've backslidden, or yeah. they they grew up with mum and dad's faith. They don't have a faith of their own. Yep. And no one's taught them how to be a disciple, how to follow Jesus, and yep. uh, and obey him. Yep. So, so that's your plan and purpose throughout the Solomons. Well, I was just going to say that while you know, we, I do train up people and they, some of them go out on the street and connect with people. That's not my preferred option. Mm-hmm. I'm really training up people to go and connect with their extended family or oikos. Okay. And, and so 
as I train people up, I'm sending them back home. So they're, you know, to get into the house or to disciple people um, at home is much easier than you've met with someone on the street. I need to find where they live because there are no street signs in Honiara and no, you know, uh, house numbers or anything like that. So it's all about, do you know, you know, it's the third house from the wherever. So so when you get people together to train, sometimes we would just say, well, let's, because, you know, our, our oikos or our immediate family might live hundreds of miles away, um, but you you get say, okay, our assignment now is we're going to go visit our neighbourhood uh, where there'll be not just their immediate family, their extended family. And you get them sharing and, and ministering to their people. That's right. I've, I've been affected by this man, Jeff Sundell. Mm-hmm. And he uh, coined a phrase that he uses in the US, which works really well here. We talk about, and we used to use it in Australia as well, or we still do. Instead of talking about the lost, we talk about people who are far from Jesus. And so I talk to these people I'm training and say, you know, can you identify people? who are far from Jesus because they think, oh, well, everyone must be saved because we've got a Christian country. And so the far from Jesus um, terminology has been really, really helpful. And so they are able to identify people in their community who have backslidden, mm. uh, who have you know, walked away or you know, are brothers or sisters, you know, who've never committed their life to Christ. Mm. Um, or others who, you know maybe at one point in time we were part of the church and have walked away um, and are now chewing beetle nut and getting drunk and all the rest of it. So I'm encouraging uh, people I'm training to go back to their, what we call one talk, one talk, their mm. extended family or the people um, who all speak the same language. Uh, and, and that's where we're seeing some really good results. People are going back telling their story okay so you teach them to <clears throat> to share their story in, in just a few minutes yep and uh and what else do you teach them to do yeah well they tell their story i often say to um parents have you ever told your children whether their children are 20 or or 10 have you ever told your children your story about why you follow jesus that's been a good one parents mm-hmm. have gone and done that like i've got a story of a lady sarah she went and was praying had been praying for years for her 19 year old son did the whole thing about you know telling your story she went back home and told him her story now she'd been praying for him because he was far from jesus he's getting drunk all the time so she got to tell him her story she'd never done that before i have lots of parents who come back from the training or during the training and say i've told my children my story because we, we just assume our children know why we believe. Mm. So that's been a good thing. So I train them to do that. I train them in how to share the gospel in a simple way that can be understood but so simple that it can be easily passed on to others. And so I try and do a, use something that is easily reproduced um, in the culture. So how have you done that here in the Solomons? Well, in the Solomons... Um, me, me got him story, um, blow Jesus, and uh, money blow Solomon Islands or selling 
which is money, Lord Solomon Islands, M. Gadam's story, Lord Jesus. So it's a story about Jesus based on the money of the Solomon Islands. Okay. So uh, you don't need to have any of the money in your hand mm-hmm. to say to people. So the first note is $100, and the $100 note is gold. And so the, the gold $100 note reminds us of God. And then we, we talk about it being the first note, or maybe I talk about you know, in heaven, the Bible tells us that the streets are paved with gold. Paved with gold. Because the Bible is held in um, high esteem and mm. well respected in the Solomon <coughs> Islands and also right around the South Pacific. So we talk a little bit about $100 reminds us of God. Then the next note is the $50 note and it's green. Uh, green uh, represents life, you know, particularly when you live in the Solomon Islands, everything's green. Things grow very quickly here. Mm. And, and then we talk about God has a plan for your life and that you would live with him forever. Uh, train people to say something like, uh, Jesus said, I've come life and come to give life and life in all its fullness. And we just talk about the life and, and the plan that God has uh, for us. Then the next note is a $20 note. It's brown, and we say that represents sin and how sin has um, come into the world. And so while God has a plan, and the plan is for life for you and me, uh, sin has stopped that plan coming about, and we all have sin in our lives. And that brown colour is like it's soiled or it's dirty. Yeah. And if I am using notes, I make sure I've got a $20 note that's come from the market that's just very dirty and messy and Mm. just to help um, demonstrate. Then uh, the next note, the $10 note, is red. And it's quite a deep coloured red. So people, I even have people saying, well, that's Jesus' blood. And so we use the $10 note to talk about Jesus' blood and how Jesus' blood has dealt with sin so that we might live the life that God has for us. And then the $5 note is blue, and blue um, represents uh, water, and then that Jesus' um, blood washes us, And so we're clean, and but we need to believe. So we link the blue with the water and the washing, but also that we need to believe. And so we say that if you have not, if you don't believe that Jesus' blood and his death on the cross deals with sin, don't believe that there's life. You know, we need to believe for it to become reality and then challenge people, is this something you would like to do? Would you like to believe? Sometime at the $5 note as well, we move into talking about baptism. This is the first step you need to make. But we're using it to challenge people. And when they get to the $5 note, you've got to challenge people to believe. And that's working really well. It's really captured people's mm-hmm. imagination because it's unique to the Solomon Islands. So you're training everybody or anyone who's willing to learn, not just pastors or official yeah. leaders, and they don't have to have a wad of notes, but no. the, the, the colours remind them and, and also connect their audience with the message that it's memorable, yeah. it's something you can teach pretty quickly, yeah. 
and get them to practice. Always get people to practice. And Even when they, I preach now, people practice. <laughs> and then they can go home and, and share their story. Yep. They can share a gospel outline with some. If someone comes to faith, it's something they can pass on to others. Yeah, that's great. And um, what what comes after their response? Yeah. Well, after so we we get people meeting together as soon as we can in groups. So we would um, so say. Uh, Lawrence, one of the young men that I'm working with, um, he um, led a guy by the name of Benwell uh, to the Lord. So he meets with he and another young guy in that same community. They're already friends. Um, and his name escapes me at the moment. <laughs> but um, Lawrence straight away, like the very next day, because these guys don't have a job, so it's easy to say, do you want to meet and find out about Jesus? So that's the, the, the thing. Someone, whether they make a decision or not, I'm training people to say, would you like to find out more about Jesus? Or if they've made a decision, oh, we need now to catch up so that you can learn more about Jesus. And so Lawrence has been meeting with these guys for six months now and um, discipling them every week. And just ask, they look at a passage, they uh, retell the passage from memory, and we ask the Discovery Bible Study questions. You know, what do you like? What does it tell you about God? What does it tell you about people? Is there a command to obey or an example to follow? Uh, what will you do? Who will you tell? So they're put, being challenged to put into practice the Word of God every time they meet. And if someone's new to Discovery Bible Study, uh, they can certainly... Just do a word search on the blog and there'll be yep. plenty of references and resources. It's a simple method um, that God's using all around the world, both in evangelism and, and short-term and long-term discipleship. Yep. So you're seeing it's it's proving to be effective here in the Solomons. Yes. Yeah. That, another thing that we're doing in training up people and sharing the gospel is the retelling of gospel stories from memory. Mm-hmm. That works here in the Solomon Islands, right around the South Pacific. But also get to train people in other Pacific Island nations as well. Uh, but we we encourage people, and it's it's captured people's imagination that uh, we would retell the, a, a gospel story. Yeah, you know, the simple one would be the story of Zacchaeus. Okay, so you're putting um, some very simple tools and methodologies in. The hands of ordinary people, simple but profound tools like discovery Bible study or sharing their story or sharing gospel stories, the the money, um, yep. you know, illustration of the gospel, uh, and the next step is is to get people in in their oikos gathered in groups, learning to follow and obey Jesus one. One passage, one story at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the other guys who I'm training, Nelson, <clears throat> he's on the go. So he went back to his home village in Malaita, which is a, a church of Melanesia village. Um, and he did the respectful thing. He went and spoke to the elders 
um, of his community and talk to them about what he'd been learning. They said to him, can you start one of those groups here? And so he had four weeks um, discipling the elders in that community. And then they gave him permission that he could share the gospel with anyone in the village. And so there were a dozen young men gave their lives to the Lord and uh, Nelson was discipling them. Now those men, young men, have come over here to study and he's meeting in two separate discipleship groups with those guys who've come over here. But back in his home village, I mean, there's the existing church, but these men recognising that they were not really becoming disciples out of what was happening in their church for whatever reason. And so while it's not been another church that started, Nelson's been able to pass on the key elements of ongoing discipleship. Mm. Well, we got a great experience the other morning over coffee uh, of how you're multiplying workers. You know, we met Alpheus, and uh, he has a ministry that begins in, in the prison system. Yes. Tell us a bit about that. <clears throat> well, I actually met uh, Alpheus through an, a New Zealander, <clears throat> New Zealand Maori man who's over here with his, his wife's working as an advisor. And I'm not sure how Ike connected with Alpheus, but anyway, Ike introduced me to Alpheus. And I've been meeting with Alpheus every week for many months now. Heard about his story. I mean, he often, maybe it's not every week because sometimes he's off doing an evangelistic trip somewhere or he's off um, doing a reconciliation um, in an island between a prisoner or a prisoner's family and the um, family of the victim. And that's the main ministry he has at the prison is a ministry of reconciliation. So he's he's going into the prisons and he has approval to do this yep. and he's very good at it. Yeah. And he's reconciling uh, perpetu- yeah, perpetrators, perpetrators with with either the victims and their families. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. And he goes into the prison and shares the gospel with those prisoners. And uh, he was saying nearly every prisoner has given their life to Christ. So out of what could be in the three major prisons in the Solomon Islands, all up maybe 600 people, uh, they're all believers. They don't start out that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but as he, and, you know, and he's certainly a significant person there, there are some other people working in the prison system as well, but Alpheus, he's a key guy when it comes to reconciliations. And so they... Um, well, he initiates. It's not the prisons doing it. Alpheus initiates the reconciliation. And so it gives him the opportunity to talk to um, the perpetrator who's in prison and their family because when they get out of prison, um, these guys need to be reintroduced into their family because sometimes that's not always a good thing because they brought shame or embarrassment on their family. Um and, or sometimes their families support what they've done and so there needs to be reconciliation between the two families that are involved otherwise there could be an ongoing or an escalated conflict maybe a, what they call payback yeah that could be over a, a traffic accident yeah. there's been an accident and, and, and first thing you're going to do is let's attack the, the driver who's caused the accident yeah 
and and then the whole war between the clans. So someone ends up in prison, and it's really a war between two family groups. And Alpheus will work using the gospel to reconcile those individuals and groups. And then you're saying as as prisoners come to Christ, then Alpheus will journey to visit in the villages, and sometimes it might be one or two days boat travel yes. to get to an island. That's why I fly. <laughs> Very expensive to fly, but long distances on boats. Um, and he, he brings the gospel to that village through the prisoner's family. Yes. Yep. And he has a real heart to uh, go beyond just sharing the gospel. He wants to see... Um, all of these people become disciples and if there's no uh, church, he wants to see churches begun. So we, I mean, I've seen photos of uh, a church that meets in one of these villages out in the western province and I, I'm in the process of training Alpheus up so that he might have a better process better way of being able to plant churches at plant churches rather than he doesn't like the idea of it all being dependent upon him and it's slow and so he's so making making church life just simple, simple. irreducible minimums, yeah. So that it's easily spread. Um, it's not costly. It's not dependent on a, on Alpheus or some central body, yeah. Um, and it can also, I guess, the simpler it is, the more more that it captures, you know, the heart of the scriptures, Acts two and so on then the more likely it can t- the church can t- contextualise as well because yeah. it's not got this cultural baggage. Yes. And, and, there is and that's money. what you're helping Alpheus do. Yeah. yeah. And one of the good things um, with Alpheus doing this is he has no money. Mm. So he's, mm. he's doing this for love. He's not employed. So you don't pay Alpheus. Alpheus. I don't pay Alpheus. When we meet, I'll buy him a drink. <laughs> I hope so. And some cake. He and likes some chocolate cake. cake. Yeah. We have a drinking cake. If we happen to meet at lunchtime, I'll even buy him lunch. Yeah. But I think it's, it's worth it. He's just a wonderful man doing a great job. Now, Grant, um, as we've talked, we've talked all about the Solomon Islands, but you're not just multiplying workers like Alpheus, around, because they're your legacy, aren't they? I mean, yeah. one day you will return to Australia. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they're the people connected in uh, to the culture. Uh, but... But you have a broader vision. You're, you're training guys like men and women like Alpheus in, in other parts of the yep. South Pacific. Yep. So what, what are those locations that you travel to? Yeah. Well, I have, um, have a dream, a vision for the whole of the South Pacific, a sense of call from God that it's not just the Solomon Islands, it's the whole of the South Pacific. I'm based here, but going to the South Pacific. So PNG? Well, PNG is... It's um, Papua, New Guinea. Papua New Guinea, west of here, mm-hmm. uh, over 7 million people okay. in Papua New Guinea. That's a large island to the north of Australia, Australia. but yep. Papua New Guinea is the eastern half. Yes. The western half is part of Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And there's just in that eastern half of the island, there's, do you say, 7.5 million people? Yeah. And I think about 700 languages. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's a massive mission. Yeah. We need, we really need someone there on the ground, you know, with this sense of call from God, 
to do the same thing that I'm doing and just in PNG. It's a big mission field. So this this is your call to anyone listening? Yeah, my call to anyone listening. That, you, uh, you, you, could, you could help partner and train them yep. if they're the right sort of person. Yes. And that's Papua New Guinea, yep. a, a mission field in its own. Then there are some other, yep. other so islands. I, yes. Um, so I, I've been into Tonga, mm-hmm. uh, Fiji, and Vanuatu at this point in time. And then, uh, and I've also, as part of that, I've trained some, uh, a couple of people from Samoa as well. Uh, I plan to be going shortly into Nauru. It's only 12,000 people in Nauru, but it's a nation all mm. of its own, so it needs some help as well. Uh, Kiribati, which is about the lowest um, land mass in the world as a nation. Mm. I mean, highest points maybe a couple of metres above sea level. Mm. Then um, uh, New Caledonia, uh, the guy, the, uh, the my key guy in Tonga has been to Tahiti. So we're gradually working our way around all of these specific islands. But where, wherever you go. You're looking to partner with locals. Yes. You you train locals and you have in simple methods of sharing the gospel, making disciples, forming church, multiplying workers. Yep. And they're your legacy yes. in that sense. And you, you partner with all sorts of different Christian groups or just individual believers. Yep. Any and contact I can have that will get me into the country, they can get a group of people into the room who are interested in evangelism and discipleship, then I we go. And then you look from all those people that you that are being trained by you or the folks you train, you look for those Alpheus type individuals who are really called to uh, give their lives to this and are inside the culture. They know the language. They can contextualize far better than you or me, you know, yep. from an academic point of view. Yep. Um, and you you turn them into champions. Yeah. First thing I look for is obedience. So are they putting the training into practice? I mean, I'm not looking for um, men or women who have some leadership position already in their denomination. I mean, I don't rule them out. I mean, they... Mm. But that's not... That would not be the reason I would appoint or look to work with someone. Um, I'm really looking for people who are obedient, have this call of God on their lives, and they're passionate to go and do this. Um, It probably is better if they're not as connected to their denomination because it frees them up to go anywhere where we're looking to build the kingdom of God and uh, you know, we're ha- I'm happy to partner with denominations and uh, representatives from denominations but the big thing here is that we build the kingdom of God <laughs> <laughs>